This episode of the Pillar Podcast is brought to you by the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers. University of Dallas invites you to embark on The Quest, a documentary-style video series about discovering one's purpose and living with courage. Viewers are raving, calling the series a profound Catholic witness, thought-provoking, challenging, well-written, and faith-filled, and an endeavor that can help save the world. Season 2, The Way of Beauty, is now available. Start watching The Quest from the University of Dallas for free at quest.udallas.edu slash pillar. That's quest.udallas.edu slash pillar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. Actually, I like that so much. I don't think we can expressly steal it. It's theirs. But listen to this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the Catholic podcast for independent thinkers. I'm just saying that is good. That's a great... It's a great copy. It's a great tagline. We can't take it from the University of Dallas, our sponsor of this episode, but but I like it. Well, we can't we can't take it for as long as they're running the ads. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation for independent thinkers each week. I'm your host and Pillar editor in chief, JD Flynn, and I'm joined by my podcasting partner, the independent thinker himself, Ed Condon. Ed. Howdy doody, JD. Hello. Ed, I have things that I want to talk about, and I suspect you will too, but let's start here. You're, uh, you, we're recording this podcast on Friday, and of course on Tuesdays and Fridays, the, our website, PillarCatholic.com, publishes emailed newsletters called Pillar Posts. I write on Tuesday, you write on Friday. And today you wrote about um, Time Magazine and Taylor Swift. Did you not? Uh, yes, I did. Okay, so let's hear it. Time Magazine named her Person of the Year, and... I mean, I think that says more about Time Magazine than it does Taylor Swift. I, I, I didn't know we were going to talk about this. I Look, I, I realize that I have generated some strong feelings in people by suggesting that Taylor Swift is not actually the most influential person in the world. Is that the criteria for being person of the year? I don't know. I mean, I assume if you're person of the year, it <laughs> I suggests... I I wrote about it, but I assume that's what it is. Well, so I, look, when, when someone is proclaimed man or woman of the year it usually suggests that theirs is the they are the outstanding public figure or you know contributor to the general forward progress and of indeed, the human I looked race it up. time magazine annually issues their person of the year uh, it used to be called man of the year woman of the year but in 1999 they changed it to person of the year uh featuring a person a group an idea or an object that quote for better or for worse has done the most to influence the events of the year so you are right ed that according to time magazine the the perception that, that's being flouted here is that taylor swift has done the most to influence the events of the year and you disagree with that I think that's self-evidently nonsense, but I mean, I don't. I, again, I don't. I, I don't. I don't hold any ill will to towards Taylor Swift. I, I think. Um, I, I think it's fairly safe to say that while I question her overall contribution to the forward progress of mankind in the last twelve months, <laughs> uh, I, I willingly concede that she's bigger than Time Magazine. So <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't blame that somewhat diminished organ from trying to hitch itself to her star for a few issues. Uh, I uh, Can I be completely honest with you? Yeah. I wrote about Taylor Swift and Time Magazine at the bottom of the newsletter this morning because I honestly just didn't have anything more interesting to write about. And I was casting around for a third thing and it's all that was going on. I, you know, it was kind of a punt uh-huh. and I, I just went with it. I mean, for me, the most interesting fact in that post was that Panera Bread serves a caffeinated lemonade that can kill you. Yeah, that is very um, interesting. I, I that that to me, I mean, I think Panera Bread should be in the running since it's <laughs> person, group, object, whatever. I mean, a, a lemonade that can kill you. I, that's I kind of want to try that. I'll be honest with you. I want to try that more than I want to listen to Taylor Swift. I, I'm willing to say that. Now, I think we had a conversation in our newsroom this morning, and I promise you this is going somewhere. If you're interested in great Catholic conversation, uh, I promise you this is going somewhere, but I, it does start here. Because we had a conversation in our newsroom this morning, which is to say somewhat virtually because we um, we don't have a physical um, newsroom. But we had a, a um, we had a conversation in our newsroom this morning in which most of us argued that Ed Uke like rather dramatically underappreciate the influence of Taylor Swift on human events. Now, I, I would say that 
I, I agree with you that it's a bit of a stretch to say that she's probably done more to influence world events than any person this year. But I think person, you, for example, group or object or, idea, or object or idea. But I think you, for example, dramatically underappreciated the degree to which Taylor Swift has been an economic force in the United States, the degree to which Taylor Swift has been a cultural force in the United States. Um, you you tend to think of her as musician, and I think you're missing out on sort of the the movement, which is Swiftism or Taylorism, if you will. Oh, on the contrary, I I, I don't think she is primarily a musician. I, I think she is primarily exactly what you, you called her a cultural movement. I was just going to say an avatar for basic replacement level suburban white woman. I say again. I, I think she's just an avatar for a particular demographic in this country. That's oh, I, the there sur- again. You are completely missing it. You you seem to think that this is a, a repl- I, it is it amazes me actually how profoundly you miss this. And honestly, I, I, I don't understand it because it it, it, it speaks to, like this is not a this is not a sort of replacement player who happens to be you know this is not a sort of. Um, you know, average second baseman who could be replaced by any other second baseman and just happened to get a lot of, or a shortstop, right? Let's just say this is not a, a very average sh- shortstop who happened to be elevated to a level far beyond the level of notoriety of most shortstops, a la Derek Jeter. This is a person who, <laughs> you know, no one would say that Derek Jeter wow. shaped the game, right? Derek Jeter is a kind of average shortstop who suddenly became a cultural icon, but he was effectively a replacement level. He, he, baseball fans are going to, Show me all the ways in which Derek Jeter was not a replacement level player, but there are any number of other shortstops who were as good as Derek Jeter, were there not? I, I'm just going to let you carry on. I, I'm <laughs> keen to see how far you want to go down this road. I, I you, my point is you carry my point on. Is, my point is you seem to think that Taylor Swift is is significant in that she's representative of what you call a suburban white woman demographic, and I think you misunderstand how much she is actually shaped American culture, American ideas about, uh, certainly about politics, about sort of... Um, about politics? Yeah. You don't you don't appreciate how influential Taylor Swift has been on the sort of political perspectives of young people in America? Do young people in America have political perspectives? This is sure, of course me. they do. Are you kidding me? What? Like, where, where do you think we got Obergefell? Where do you Wait, think we... Is, is Taylor Swift married to a lady? <laughs> no. Taylor Swift is not married to a lady. Young people having political perspectives is the reason we got Obergefell, and Taylor Swift is a person who has who has significantly impacted the political perspectives of many many young people. Michelle pointed this out to you this morning, right? That she knows people who whose fandom of Taylor Swift has somewhat significantly reshaped their political perspectives on America. I don't, and I think you the, underappreciate. You know, Taylor Swift. No, Taylor I Swift think you are. No, you. If that's true, then I think that you are. You are assigning novelty to something that is perennial. Um, people, no, I'm young not, I'm people, not saying she's original in that regard. That's the role of pop stars in America. But you're, you seem to think that she's just iconographic of of a sort of existent class without realizing the degree to which she probably shapes that class mm. and, and others. Is she shaping it, or is she just reflecting back to it? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Kids are I, always liberal and radical, and they're always they always hold out their favorite sort of you know not very good musician. It's as, just you amazing know, to me that you would Look, say that like, Isaac McGarnacle. I'm sorry, I think you're saying that, that oh, say that Taylor Isaac Swift McGarn- made the kids liberal. How could you say like that saying- Isaac McGarnacle was a significant cultural figure? When uh, fully half of our readers who got back to us said they never heard of Isaac McGarnacle, and not appreciate that Taylor Swift is a significant cultural figure. Look, if you think the cultural significance basically boils down to economics and how many concert tickets did you sell, then that's fine. But I appreciate art at a different level. Did you um, follow her I, sexual assault thing? No, you told me about it. Again, you you are painting me as anti-Taylor Swift, which I am not. I even I said in the newsletter, I am her. pro-Taylor Swift. I What you told me about how she went after the bastard who copped a feel when she was a kid, I think it's great. The whole nuking the value of her master tapes to stick it to a record label. That I mean, I'd stand up and applaud. She didn't do any of that this year, though. Right. That's not a 2023 thing. So that's none of that counts in the balance of perhaps that Taylor Swift is not the person of the year this year is fine. And and I agree with you that Taylor Swift. That's what I said. And I agree with you that Taylor Swift is probably never the person of the year. But I'm just surprised the degree to which you think that. Taylor Swift is effectively just a, a disembodied voice on the radio who could be replaced by any number of other pop stars. But she's I would, the latest in a long succession of people who are avatars. Yeah, like people for like Michael Jackson and um, no, 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 Michael Jackson. 
and the Beatles. I mean, you might be making some different associations. When, I'm not when you were comparing associations. No, I'm okay. not. I'm not making those set of associations. I'm okay. saying I'm just a person checking. who had as much influence on culture as Michael Jackson. That's not just that. I couldn't name a Taylor Swift song if you played one to me. And that everyone says more knows. about you than about. No, cool. that says more about her because there's not a human being alive who couldn't tell you a Michael Jackson song when they heard it. That's the thing is even the people who are insulated from them are still affected <laughs> by it. That's really the definition. You're universalizing your own particulars here. I think as many no, people could identify and as Taylor to your, Swift song. As to your you somewhat sad point that, you know, oh, Taylor Swift made the kids liberal. That's like saying Green Day made Americans anti-war in the early 2000s. Like it's not true. It's just riding a wave of that's how people were talking and feeling and it's amazing to me because you gwyneth you you have long regarded gwyneth paltrow as a shaper of human culture for worse you have long said gwyneth paltrow is a shaper of human culture for worse and gwyneth paltrow's like cultural influence pales in comparison to that of taylor swift i I have not said gwyneth paltrow is a shaper of human culture i have said gwyneth paltrow is is someone who has shamelessly and effectively monetized the vapidness of californian culture i think it's vapidity is it is it well i wish it were vapidity Either way, you take my point. I don't. Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow is not an innovator. Gwyneth Paltrow is someone who can take the, you know, dumbest local dime store Reiki class and turn it into a ten thousand dollar product. You know what's going to happen is a lot of people stick are going to write to me about Derek Jeter and how great and important he is. Well, maybe you should consider the validity of your opinions before you give them such a wide audience. <laughs> okay, I know Here's- I do. You do not. Here's why I'm asking you about all of this, because um, this got me thinking about persons of the year. And uh, so I thought it'd be interesting and fun to sort of talk about um, churchmen of various kinds of the year. Okay. Using, I think, the Time Magazine um, framework of of a person, and I'll sort of read that to you again. Person, group, idea, or object that for better or for worse has done the most to influence the events of the year. So we'll start out with sort of our big pick of person of the year. Um, which again is person, group, idea, or object that has done the most to influence the events of the year, and we're talking sort of in 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 within the context of the church. And then I have some other categories for us to consider, but um, I want to give you the floor to sort of proffer. Now the the qualifier here is that um, Jesus Christ is a protagonist of history, and um, the Holy Spirit guides, leads, and inspires, and protects the church. God the Father is our Creator. I do not think it would behoove us. Um, to hide behind the selection of divine persons for this. So I think that we should exclude divine persons from our selection of persons of the year in various categories. Speaking of excluding the Holy Spirit, I think my pick would be synodality. Oh, that's so great. That was my pick as well. I mean, it's obviously the most influential idea. Um, mm-hmm. And the Synod on Synodality is obviously the most influential event. Now, I was torn, actually. I was torn. So I had two answers. Uh, this is for the broad category of person of the year. I had two answers. The obvious answer seemed to me to be synodality. Synodality is the idea which has, for better or for worse, done the most to influence the ecclesial events of the year. Yes. But that I take issue with that, with that framing, and I'll tell you why. Because there are things which have happened this year which may not have influenced the events of this year, but which may be the things which have the most long-lasting impact and effect. So I was torn between synodality, which seems to best meet the definition that we're given, and the martyrdom of Father Isaac Aki, which I think in the long term, the, the priest who in February was uh, killed and his body burned um, beyond recognition in his rectory in, in Nigeria, um, which I think will have more, far more long-term effect on the life of the church than will synodality itself. So by the sort of time definition, I think synodality are right, but I, I want to criticize the definition because it seems to me to lose the way in which something can begin uh, in one year and uh, sort of seminally and have almost certainly lo- long-lasting effect. Is that because dying a martyr's death and presumably going to heaven and being a saint inevitably makes you a person of outsized no, influence? Well, yes, but it's just the perennial Christian principle that the blood of the martyrs so is the seed of, sure. you know, is the seedbed of Christianity. Well, in that case, I would accuse you of being somewhat arbitrary in picking Father Isaac. Because... I am. I'm picking, it's oh. so funny that you say that, because I'm picking Father Isaac Aki as an avatar for martyred priest around the world. Okay. No, I, I go with that. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, but I don't sure. mean that answer to be overly pious. I just, if we didn't have no, to I... follow the time rules, I think it would be a more important one. Because I think that the, the story of persecuted and martyred Christians in, in the world right now is a far more significant one, long-lasting than will be synodality, even though I agree with you that synodality has been the sort of Time Magazine answer. 
Yeah, but although synodality is kind of like picking Xi Jinping for the person of the year, it's like, you know, okay, it's the biggest beast in the jungle, but I mean, right. let's just be honest, it doesn't look as great on the cover as Taylor Swift. I want to see when Xi Jinping was selected, because if he was never selected, oh, let's, look at this, this is fascinating to me. Yeah, this is a bad set of lists. I'm just looking at recent years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start with 2018. Quote, unquote, The Guardians, journalists who first persecution, arrest, or murder for their reporting. Okay, and then it names some journalists who were sort of persecuted. I, I would argue that those people, though perhaps heroic, it'd be very difficult to, in, to argue that they were the most influential sort of world shapers. No, but the thing that magazine journalists love more than anything else is talking about how important journalists yeah. are. Yeah, this is a terrible list. 2019, Greta Thunberg. Oh. Fine young advocate for whatever, but pass I mean, me the a most, Yeah, then 2020. You would think it would be a slam dunk answer that the answer for Time Magazine would be the virus, right? Or anyone who made a vaccine. Yeah, or anyone who made a vaccine or whatever. I mean, what is the story of 2020 except the the, the virus? Biden and Kamala Harris. Knock me down with a feather. Yeah, 2021, Elon Musk. I mean, I think that's fair, actually. Elon Musk is probably a fair pick. I, I'd put yeah, him... I don't know what 2021 in particular. Um, he was the richest person in the world in 2021. But I think it was in 2022 that he acquired Twitter, which was probably a very significant sort of act on his part. That and SpaceX had basically cracked reusable yeah. launch delivery yeah, right. systems and things. That's right. Well, they're still on. They're still. I did, I'm torn about Elon that. Musk. I really am. I mean, the guy is clearly a lunatic. Is he above replacement 100 billionaires? Like, I mean, that would be my question is, is there anything? Well, this is the great question about Elon Musk is, is, yeah. is he a genius or is he just lucky? Right. And just positioned in the place where he's positioned. It's the Jeter question. I mean, he's very lucky if, if that's all he is. I mean, you know, okay, fine. He made his original millions or whatever in the tech bubble in the late nineties or whatever it was. Okay. That, that, that happened to a lot of people who perhaps, you know, geniuses and i think electric cars and teslas i don't think it has legs as a as a world changing <laughs> venture but spacex is a real thing like that that really yeah. that is that is genuine people think spacex is a novelty i think people don't understand. people think people think tesla is world changing and spacex is a novelty but there's a reason why spacex has as many contracts as it does with for example nasa right and but the thing is when musk took him over they were not positioned to um, bid for those contracts and they really like the it almost bankrupted musk mm-hmm. the trying to get the falcon rockets to perform to the level that would get them the nasa contracts and stuff like that was not a, he didn't like get a buy a company that had a lot of nasa contracts like he they won the contracts mm-hmm. because of what he did at spacex when he took it over um so that's like a real deal and i think i think musk founded spacex I think he did, but like he bought, he bought something and turned I mean, it into SpaceX. I mean, if it's oh, got X, you know, Elon Musk started it, but I, you know, yeah. he it wasn't, he didn't just like say, I'm going to start a rocket from scratch. I don't think, I think. Oh, he, there was some infrastructure of There was a something, whether it was a research company or, or something like that. Got it. Um, I mean, Twitter, I, I don't know why anyone would pay for Twitter. Uh, I don't, I don't know, know why anyone would pay for Twitter either, but again, I don't think you can deny that Twitter has a profound influence on the kind of contemporary I have a theory that the only reason Twitter continues to survive as a platform is because there are people who are daily opinion columnists. Yeah, I think that's right, but... Like, a lot of the content of my feed seems to be confected argument between two people who are professional opinion writers, and then they both get to... And then both they and several other people get to write a day's content on the Twitter argument. But the fact of the matter is, those things do, for better or for worse, influence public policy. I I think Twitter, more than any other social media does influence public policy for better or worse. Okay, so uh, 2022 was all about Ukraine, Zelensky and the spirit of Ukraine and Taylor Swift. I think that this cat, this, this, I think that this would be better. Um, this whole award would be better called sort of the spirit of the age or the spirit of the year or something like that. Because the what they mean is, award? yeah, what, that's what they mean is a person who sort of captured something. Um, now subscribing to what you critically described my opinion of Taylor Swift as being. I maybe have come around. Okay, so I think the next question for me is that we can you can use the Time Magazine definition or you can deviate it from it if you have a good sort of justification for it. But I'd be interested in now um, 
your American church person of the year. We've done sort of global. You said synodality. I said synodality, but I, then I criticized the thing and said maybe Father Isagaki as a sort of symbol. Um, but uh, I'd be interested in your American 2023 person of the year. And, and you can go first or I can. Um, and this is neither good nor bad. This is just biggest impact. The thing which moved the, th- which moved the thing. You know, I can read you the definition again if you need me to. No, no, no. I don't need the definition again. I just wanted to just put out there as a caveat. Selection does not imply endorsement. A person, a group, idea, or object that for better or for worse has done the most to influence the events of the year. And I mean, I'm I got to go with the Bishop of Strickland. Pierre. Oh, the Bishop of Strickland. I, I Unquestionably. Okay, go, I, go ahead. Christophe Pierre. I mean, come on. Well, don't criticize my choice until I've gotten to explain it. Go ahead and talk all about right, your fair enough. Okay, well, the Bishop of Strickland, I, first of all, I, I think he's – you can't claim he hasn't commanded the stage or influenced events. He got the Pope to fire him. That's, <laughs> you know, even even in this pontificate, that's a fairly rare feat. You, you know, you really have to get out there. He garnered ha- and still has an enormous – social media following. I won't say for better or for worse, because I think it's unquestionably for worse. Um, and he and he got that by tweeting things like he opposes the Pope's plan to undermine the magisterium of the church. Uh, he also, you know, put himself in before all of that and taking aside the sort of, you know, Bishop Strickland versus Apostolic See dynamic, he was right in the middle of um, – you know, a, a lot of the hot button social things that the church was dealing with in the last year. You know, when the when the LA Dodgers had their Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence scandal, and Archbishop Gomez was and the entire leadership of the Bishops Conference, together with the Archbishop of Los Angeles, Archbishop Gomez, were putting out very strongly worded statements and coordinating things like masses of reparation and taking things very, very seriously. Strickland managed to blow it all up and just be like, nope. I'm gonna I'm gonna show up in the parking lot of Dodger Stadium with a bunch of people from a political group that have been told by their own local bishop they can't use the new name Catholic and you know I'm gonna t- and is you know tied to who are the clowns that were on the board I forget now but like it, it was the usual suspects it was the Steve Bannon world types and you know and say I'm gonna I'm gonna lead a a march in another guy's diocese in his backyard in response to this thing. Um, if the USCCB was having a debate about something, you could start the clock on when Bishop Strickland would get to the microphone <laughs> and say something that may or may not have been prophetic or may or may not have been just totally off topic and would leave everyone flummoxed. But again, for better or for worse, who's the, you know, who was the biggest, most outsized influencer of events? Who was everyone listening to when he opened his mouth, if for no other reason than to see what would happen? I got to go with the Bishop of Strickland. Okay, so I really appreciate you saying that, Ed, because what you're doing actually is helping to clarify what it is that I think Time Magazine is actually doing, um, which is again, I would say that Taylor Swift is more influential of a person than I think you realize. But I think what Time Magazine is actually doing, if you look at that list, Greta Thunberg, Elon Musk, not you know, not even the virus, argue you know, surprisingly, Greta Thunberg is a truant. She's well, not a, right. A, so here's where, I'm, please allow me. Um, Look, Costaged, I found out as a fan favorite, but um, I, I think that you know the no cost- of, this is just who I am. The winner of twenty twenty two was was the spirit of Ukraine, and um, and uh, and then this year twelve shows. So I think what the Time Magazine Person of the Year award effectively is is person who got the most attention this year, and in that sense, um, you're right. It, it, Bishop Strickland, the Bishop of Strickland, is. Um, is indeed the person who probably attracted the most, made the most headlines this year, even well before he was removed, sort of was at the the center of controversy, people paying attention to him. What will he say now? Can you believe he said this? All of that. But if the award is person who probably exercised the most influence on events, then I don't think there's any way that it can't be Cardinal Christophe Pierre. The um, removal of the Bishop of Knoxville, Tennessee, was a Pierre decision, but it it came after, or was a P, was a was Pierre was heavily involved in the thing, but it came after um, Pierre, you know, failing to respond to these clerics, and so Pierre both sort of set the stage for um, what happened and was involved in the resolution of the thing, the removal of the Bishop of Strickland. Um, Pierre was heavily involved in that, the um, escalating tension between American bishops and the Holy See. 
Pierre's interview in America Magazine, I think, was um, uh, you know influential in provoking this response from Brolio at the at the November meeting, in which bishops began to American bishops began to sort of push back on a narrative advanced by Rome about the church in the United States, and Pierre put that in motion. You want to talk about synodality? Um, the guy who has made, who has often framed, I think, um, a narrative which is American bishops versus versus synodality, and who I think did that even with his speech in the at the Orlando meeting of the U.S. bishops in June, Christophe Pierre, at the center of many things happening at the organizational level of the church. And, uh, you know, if you want to say that the Eucharistic revival is a significant thing that's happening in the life of the church right now, Christophe Pierre has been um, both its supporter and has spoken in many times to try to shape it according to what vision he thinks it would have in order to reflect the desires and preferences of Pope Francis. And according to the organizers, that that um, advice from Pierre has been useful. I I think that in many ways this has been a year of Pierre in that um, on all the many things that are happening in the life of the church in the United States, Pierre's a part of it, including, um, did, was it in 2023 that we got the revised Vos Estes Lex Mundi? Yeah, yes, it in would March have. of 2023, we got the revised Vos Estes yeah. Lex Mundi. So the big, probably untold story in the church in the United States is the um, continued sort of um, Wait, tension or dissonance. Cardinal Christophe Pierre influenced the amendments to Vos Estes? I do. Um, I, I think in Rome, he probably influenced the amendments of Ossestes, but more to the point, the story in the United States is the continued dissonance between the text of Ossestes and their implementation um, and uncertainty about the, the credibility of Ossestes. And Pierre, who has made a lot of calls on, for example, public the not public or not public uh, nature of various Ossestes investigations and the way in which they're carried out and the way in which it, results are published. Those are Pierre decisions. And the way that we can know that is because those very same decisions have played out very differently in other countries. And it has been the apostolic nuncio turn each way in each place, which has sort of seemed to set the tone for that. So in that sense, I don't think there's any way not to see that in the church in the United States in 2023 in Specifica, Christophe Pierre has been a significant protagonist, but you, you seem unconvinced. I am unconvinced. I consider that. I mean, I, I look. Cardinal Pierre got his day in the sun this year, getting made a cardinal, and good for him. Um, I, I think he deserves it by every metric through which nuncios to the United States are usually made cardinals. And it, as you pointed out in an analysis, uh, prior to the previous three incumbents, two of whom died in office, and the third went nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty normal that mm-hmm. you were an institute of the United States. That was your last gig and you got made a cardinal when you retired. That was, you know, your sort of thank you very much for your career of service to the yeah. diplomatic corps and everything. And you pointed out that Pope Francis had asked Cardinal Pierre to stay on long past the customary retirement age, which is usually more strictly observed in the diplomatic corps than it is in, for example, sort of diocesan Episcopal service. Like normally in the Diplomatic Corps, you turn 75 and you actually retire, or right. you go back to Rome and you know drive a desk somewhere quiet for a little while. Um, and, and you, so you pointed out that Pope Francis clearly wanted Pierre still in his role in the United States, didn't have a likely successor at the moment. Um, and, and so if he was going to continue, he's 78 now, I think, isn't he? And I, th- I do not think that he will be the apostolic nuncio at the end of 2024. Uh, I suspect that soon after the Eucharistic Congress in the summer, Pierre's tenure will will be done. His own son will set. That, that may be. But anyway, you pointed out at the time that Cardinal Pierre was basically getting a red hat, not for earth-shakingly important work as nuncio to the United States, so much as managing to stay alive in office and not lose his mind, which is what the pre- three previous incumbents yeah. had done. Um, and I would I would say that by that measure, Cardinal Pierre has absolutely earned the red hat. I do not dispute that he still has a pulse, and he does not appear to me to be visibly insane. So I, I would agree with that. I think you are wildly overselling his influence. I think he has given, and I've written as much, um, a series of incredibly boilerplate, jargon-filled addresses to the USCCB through which the bishops, even those sympathetic to his praised, topic. That's so funny because you've always praised his speeches. You've it's always not true. said it. if there's one thing I, I think is that Archbishop Pierre gives a good speech. I've heard you say it on people times. gave people gave me a lot of negative feedback and were very angry at me for the one I wrote about his speech in Orlando and synodality and the yeah, lazy river. And people were very annoyed about that. 
Um, but no, I, I mean, I don't think they're offensive. I think he's a good diplomat. I think he's very good at his job. I, I don't think that he's um, nearly as influential in the U.S. Episcopate as you seem to think he is. He, if you think about Pierre, a spe- I mean, if you think about Pierre, a speechmaker as rhetorician, you're perhaps right. But I think if you think about him as a nerve center or as a critical, if you think of him as an artery through which the Church in the United States passes to Rome at a time of escalating tension between the bishops of the United States and the Holy See. I mean, getting the red hat did redress the balance of influence a little bit in Rome over American ecclesial affairs in that, I mean, it was fairly widely known that Cardinal Supic had no problem in sort of talking down to him as though he were the help at the dicastery for bishops and things when American appointments would come up. And now that he's a cardinal, he actually has the rank to sort of look Cardinal Subic in the eye and say, no, my opinion actually matters here. Uh, and that's good. Yep. That's a good thing. That yep. is a good counterbalance to have. We want to have that kind of um, chorus of opinion uh, going on in Rome when they're discussing things. So I, I don't doubt that his star has risen this year. I think you are overselling the influence of it, though. Uh, your your claim that Sticka is a, is a Pierre decision, if that's true, it's worth bearing in mind that Bishop Sticka's sort of vote of no confidence from an apostolic visitation undertaken by then Louisville Archbishop Kurtz, which would have been the one that had now Cardinal Pierre's, you know, personal vote, attached, right? vote yeah. on top of it. That was several years ago. It was, it was. Yeah. So they basically ignored it for a long time, if that was his work. They did. Um, and at the same time, he ignored the priests of Louisville. Of Knoxville. I'm not saying, I, I please understand, I'm not saying Christophe Pierre, hero of the year. I'm saying in every big story of the church in the United States in 2023, somewhere in there is So, you know, here I'm going to be nicer to him than you are being, I think, by implication, because I don't think he ignored the priests of Knoxville. I think there was simply nothing he could do. And so he was sitting there getting all of these letters from them and sort of sighing in frustration. And I don't don't think he actually smokes, but sort of metaphorically lighting a galois and going, what can I do? He could write a letter back. Well, yeah, but then they'd leak that to us, and then we would, yeah, and then it would be the a whole thing. Say, the letter would There's say, "There's nothing Thank I can you, do. Rome hasn't I'm, removed it. This is being handled in the manner in which it's being handled, and I'm glad to speak with you personally." But I mean, to not—it it does seem to me that to not give them anything is not the only thing that he could do. I if that's true are, in the church, if what's true in the church is that if you write to a person in authority, they there's nothing they can do, even to express sort of um, empathy or sympathy for your suffering. We have a broader cultural problem than you and I typically acknowledge. Oh, I think we have nothing but broad cultural problems. But <laughs> okay, so you, you say you. the Bishop of Strickland, I say Christoph Pierre, I, and I would argue. Look, my mind. I'll offer a compromise candidate. We'll have a compromise candidate for you when we're back from these commercials. And this week's episode of the Pillar Podcast is brought to us by The Quest from University of Dallas Productions. The Quest is a documentary-style video series about discovering one's purpose and living with courage. Um, it draws on stories from scripture, history, and literature to take viewers on a journey to explore the Christian life. There are two seasons of The Quest with five 25-minute episodes each. Season one of The Quest explores how we can discover our purpose and live it with courage. And season two of The Quest is awesome. Season two of The Quest, The Way of Beauty, which was filmed at UD's campus outside of Rome and at landmarks around and churches around the Eternal City, explores this question of how beauty helps us to deepen our encounter with God and experience His presence more fully. Um, season two of The Quest, The Way of Beauty, is the via pulchritudinous, if you will, is is beautiful and um, and can be just, I think, a great introduction, not only to what UD is doing, but to the work of uh, uh, of the university to sort of renew culture through beauty and beauty as a gateway into the other transcendentals, the true, the good, and the beautiful. Uh, the Quest is a collaborative effort of the faculty and staff at the University of Dallas, written, directed, and narrated by Dr. Shannon Valenzuela, who does a very good job. Um, in the narration. The series has interviews with UD faculty from across the disciplines, weaving together a powerful story and beautiful imagery to help viewers encounter God and deepen their relationship with him. That's right. The second season in particular is all about asking what beauty can teach us about theology, um, what silence, art, and even the land can tell us. Um, Each episode has its own accompanying study guide, making it a, a perfect series to undertake in small groups at your parish, in a, in a Catholic school, in your family. I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing that you can do as a, as a group of activity, a, a conversation starter, a point of reflection. The series is entirely free to watch. You go to 
quest.udallas.edu slash pillar. That's quest.udallas.edu slash pillar. Um, you visit the website, sign up, start watching. The reviews for this are quite impressive, I have they to say. Are, I mean, right. I've watched your review. What did you think? I, I really liked it. I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was incredibly well produced. I mean, this is yeah. not here's here's the this is gonna sound like a nuts and bolts comment rather than, you know, where's the substance, but I think this is important when you're making something like this. When I say it is well produced, what I mean is it's easy to watch. You know, sometimes you watch things that have a really noble purpose, but you're kind of like you can see the seams in yeah. in in what they've made, and you spend the whole time going, "No, oh, this is this is nice, but it feels a little public access television." Mm-hmm. That is not this. This yeah. is really easy to watch. This is easy to get drawn into. There's a lot of content here that is actually makes you you know pause and think, and you know you want to you can watch this with your wife, for example, and pause it and have a substantive conversation with them about some of the stuff that's coming up. I mean, that's the kind of content we're talking about, but you don't have to just believe me because what do I know? Uh, Bishop Conley of Lincoln, Nebraska called it a wonderful production that helps us look at our lives, discern what our calling is and the purpose that God has given us in life and to really get the most out of life. People are calling it thought-provoking, challenging, well-written, um, and enjoyable. The thing is, it I is found enjoyable. That season two That's of the, the most important thing. Was so beautiful that it was. Um, in, in and again, even if you, um, it, it's meant to sort of be an introduction into um, a, a lot about sort of Christian thought and culture. But even if you practice the faith, and even if you're formed in faith, you'll like it. So if you're a pastor, I think that you could bring the quest to um, people in your parish as a kind of um, something which is kind of introductory. But it, it's not as if you would. I suspect it's not as if you'll press play, go into the rectory kitchen make yourself a sandwich and come out. I suspect as soon as you start watching it, you're going to say, oh no, this is actually um, compelling and beautiful and um, and worth giving your attention. And um, and that's about the highest compliment that I can good, give. good because a video series that is about beauty should be right. beautiful. So here's the deal. Go to quest.udallas.edu slash pillar. Quest.udallas.edu slash pillar. That's in the show notes. Um, go there, check it out. You can watch the whole thing online. And we would love it if you would go to quest.udallas.edu slash pillar so that our friends at the University of Dallas know that our discerning listeners here at the Pillar Podcast are uh, are responding to w- what is really, truly our, our, our full-throated um, endorsement of the Quest because it is, I think, a, a very cool series that you should check out. We're back, everybody. We are talking about our churchmen of the year, our persons of the year in an ecclesial context. We're talking about the calendar year. We should have done this, I suppose, um, before the liturgical year began, but we're talking about our sort of persons of the um, of the ecclesial year, our ecclesial persons of the year. And um, when we left, Ed was challenging my uh, suggestion that, that Cardinal Christoph Pierre is perhaps um, the most sort of influential churchman in the, on the life of the church in the United States over the past year. One thing, Ed, that I th- I thought I said, but maybe I didn't say it clearly enough, is Cardinal Pierre gave an interview in America Magazine in October in which he was fiercely critical of the U.S. bishops, of priests in the United States, of effectively the modus vivendi of the church in the United States. And right after he did that, the president of the U.S. Bishops Conference stood up and refuted it in a point-by-point manner. Um, and then when we asked May him about it, he told here us that and he compliment it. you on using the word refute correctly? Yes, you may. Refute does not mean deny. deny. It means, yeah, it means challenge. It means to rebut. It means to actually present evidence to the contrary. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so he refuted in a point by point manner. And then he told us that he, that he disagreed with Pierre's vision of the thing. Pierre, I would say is the churchman of the year for no other reason, the American sort of ecclesial figure of the year for no other reason that he seems to have galvanized American bishops and priests and those who are paying attention um, to a better sort of sense of their own identity as American Catholics and to some unity in that. And that's, in my mind, only one of the things that he's done. You said Strickland, but I don't think the Pierre story happens without Strickland. And I think that Strickland Uh, story is You make a a compelling argument there. You you have a much more compelling argument that without Pierre, no Strickland. Uh, I think you are absolutely right about that because we did in fact report that it was Pierre who was in the meeting with Pope Francis together with Cardinal Prevost um, saying, no Christoph, no you got to do something about this guy. So no I, I take Christoph, your point. No Strickland. Sorry, that was a little Bob Marley for you. Thank you. Um, I, I think you're on much firmer ground there saying no Pierre, no Strickland than you were on saying no Pierre, no Sticka. I, okay. but I, I think that 
what's had a bigger influence on the life of the church in the United States? It's been the figure of Joseph Strickland, not Christoph Pierre. You might argue- So who's your compromise candidate? uh, My compromise candidate is, you may agree with this, you may not, but I think think he's a worthy mention. Um, Bishop Daniel Flores. And I'll tell you for why. Outgoing chair of the Committee on Doctrine. Um, I I think, honestly, the person who has probably done more in the church universally to provide an intellectual framework for this uh, notion of synodality, which was advanced, I think, ahead of having an intellectual framework. So the person has probably done more to sort of proffer a theology of synodality than any other person. Um, uh, what else, Ed? I mean, I... I I, well, I look, if you, we've I said, if we've you... agreed that the single greatest idea, thought, thing, whatever in the life of the church in 2023 is synodality, I don't think it's possible to – well, no, I, I was about to say I don't think it's possible to intelligently discuss synodality without discussing Bishop Flores, but I, I think what I actually mean to say is no one has successfully discussed synodality intelligently except Bishop Flores. And, and I think that's remarkable. But what I think is also remarkable is he's – so here's what I really like about Bishop Flores. Yeah, I know because anytime we do a fantasy draft, he's your, he was in your C nine. I'm pretty sure he was in he's your C nine. Was he? <laughs> Hang on, I know. But this guy, I mean, like, if you don't have a look, we have to have a certain measure of objectivity as journalists. But if you don't have a Dan Flores poster in your room or in your office, I will be shocked. It, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not a fanboy of the guy. I just no. Okay. I, I I see lurking down there in Brownsville, the future. Like this is a guy who's going places, and yeah, I'm just right putting my chi- I'm just putting my money on the horse no, early. You're right. I think that and, I think that to the extent that there is a second cardinal archbishop of Houston Galveston, the uh, the smart money is on Bishop Flores for that. I would agree, but I mean, he, but so here's the reason why I would say also honorable mention for person ecclesiastical person of the year for the United States 2023 is every bishop I talk to or have dinner with sooner or later they say I don't bring it up this question yeah 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 yeah. what do you think about Bishop Flores what do you make of Bishop this is the question is Flores a a liberal or is Flores conservative or this which makes me then kind of have to gauge uh, does Flores agree with me yeah yeah (laughs) And that, I mean, that's the mark of an actual independent mind at work is mm-hmm. he's yeah, nobody's yeah. tribe. He's doing his own thing. He's better read than 99% of people I know and speak to. Um, and I, I'm i sorry, do you have to have that rat licking your face while you're on that's camera? It's extraordinarily cat. I distracting. Kitten. I bought this kitten and it's climbing all over me. It's a, it's a nice kitten though, isn't it? Whatever. If it could, if it could just keep its tongue in its head while we're on camera, that would be wonderful. <laughs> I bought this kitten. I'm happy for you. I'm Ron Burgundy. Um, so I, I, yeah, and I, he went to the synod and synodality in Rome. He, he was the one who, you know, during you were there at the press conferences. Look, I like your, I like that you're enamored with Flores because I was the one who put him on your radar. So I'm very. You, you keep I'm saying that I'm enamored with him. It's this is not. I don't have a. I don't have a, a cleric crush on the guy. I'm saying that this is someone who's outperforming the field no, I, when I it comes agree. to competence I, I, I and you. intellect. And that's worth noting. Many. Like, yeah. when those incredibly testy, the, those press conferences of the Synod and Synodality were either boring or combative or deliberately exercises in stonewalling. And he's the one who gets up there and not only talks about ecclesiology intelligently, but then when asked a sort of, you know, spiky pointed question says, do I look like I'm being controlled by a liberal cabal? Like, you know, he can actually deflect right. with humor and yeah. stuff. Like that's just yeah. mm-hmm. one to watch, man. I'm telling you. No, I think you're absolutely right about that. Okay. So uh, I don't, but I don't see anything to the Taylor point. I don't see anything particularly 2023 about the place of Bishop Flores in the church. Well, then you're being silly because we've carried write-ups of his speeches on synodality, which you wrote and- But many of which were from last year. For example, I interviewed him last November when he laid the intellectual groundwork for for synodality and when he pushed back on the narrative that the synod was an expression of the census fidelity and all that. Like, yeah, he's done that work. I I would not say that it's – a lot of it was pre-2023 – so I don't take him as a compromise candidate. For me, the American churchman of the year in a Time Magazine style is Christophe Pierre. For you, it's, it's Strickland. You propose Flores as a compromise candidate, um, but we've got to move on to but the next But there will be category. no compromise here. 
there will be no compromise here. We've got to move on to the next category. Okay. What's the next? And this category? is a fun one. Okay. <clears throat> what I'm looking for here, Ed, is what I'm calling the unsung ecclesial figure of 2023. What I'm looking for is Ed's deep track, and I've got some deep tracks too. Wow. People who you think are actually moving the needle on things that are happening in the life of the church, but in ways that are, go relatively unseen. And it can be domestic or, um, or or international, depending on what you'd like to do, but just figures of significant influence in the life of the church who are who go widely underseen, not sort of underappreciated in light, like we we send them a flower balloon or something like that, but whose influence is 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 typically underappreciated. So sort of Ed's deep track, Illuminati peace mover. That's that's not what the that's an incorrect usage of the Illuminati. I, I know. I, I'll tell you what the Illuminati were in the bonus episode. Oh, no, I don't care. You should. Um, okay, you go first on this one because I mean I'm coming to all this blind, so I haven't thought of anyone, and I don't have it. No one immediately leaps to my mind, and I would like to give a good answer. So I would like to hear yours first, please. I have to think of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of the category, man. I have to. I just spend a minute thinking of mine. Kate's going to cut down the tape here, so we're going to. We'll both sit for a minute or two and think about it, and then I'll offer you mine. Okay, I will say. I mean, this is kind of an odd choice in the sense that the biggest mark he made in 2023 was him definitely not flying under the radar. But I think before and after that, he's continued. He sort of got. He sort of popped up submarine style and then went back under. And I think that he's still exercising an influence, even if it's um, even now at a at a further remove to his previous position. And I'm going to pick Father Hans Zollner, S.J. Okay. All right. Okay. That's great. Okay. Say more. Former member of the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, who resigned in a state of incredibly high dudgeon um, earlier this year, saying basically. We're being completely ignored as an institution. Lessons are not being learned. Best practices not being adopted. Victims are not being paid attention to. Bad actors are, you know, allowing are being allowed to carry on. Um, no one is listening, and this is all bad. And I think not for nothing that I, I think um, Father Zollner's resignation, the institution that affected most directly. It's probably the PCPM because it was the PCPM that really lost its mind about Rupnik over the summer and re and started putting out incredibly combative public statements about it, piling pressure on at the Synod, at the Apostolic Palace, saying, what on earth is going on here? Are you Have you people completely lost your minds? And I don't think, I mean, for all of the talk about you know, um, the Pope only lifted the statute of limitations and all of this stuff uh, in response to to press coverage and, and external pressure. And I think that that did play some part in it. I do. In fact, I know it played some part in it. But I, I, I honestly don't think you get that result on Rupnik, that incredibly grudging result without the PCPM. And you don't get the PCPM going on the warpath without Father Zollner's resignation. I think that is a very good answer. And I'm I, I he would be in my top couple of them. I think that's a very good answer. Mine is going to be a, a figure who is known to us, but is not, I think, particularly widely known in the church, um, but is known to an increasing number of bishops. And it's Father John Paul Kimes, Associate Professor of the Practice at Notre Dame School of Law. And uh, Father Kimes, is uh, actually he is the I, I'm just looking up right now because I want to get his titles right. He's the Raymond de Penyafor Fellow in Canon Law at the. Uh, oh, that's a new Center title. He was culture. distinguished professor of the practice the last time I looked on him. He's getting <laughs> well, a title bump. It's changing. Father Kimes is a is a is a a Maronite priest, uh, an American Maronite priest who is a longtime Canon lawyer, um, who spent um, more than I want to say decade. a decade, yeah. more than a decade at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in Rome as an official of the congregation, and who subsequently sort of came home. He's he's Maronite, but he's American. He sort of came home and um, and and has begun sort of teaching canon law um, at the at the law school at the University of Notre Dame. But um, teaching if teaching canon law is his sort of day job, the reason why I say he's influential in a way that is probably completely unseen is that Father Kimes, in my estimation, has become an advisor to 
a broad swath of American bishops on handling cases related to abuse, neglect, on implementing the new book six, on implementing the um, Vadimakum from the Holy See, on on instruction of cases gravior delicta, and the sort of updates to the CDF's doc, um, um, policies regarding gravior delicta. And uh, I know even um, in, at the USCCB's meeting in Baltimore, even gave a kind of a presentation on behalf of the Canonical Affairs Committee to all the bishops about their responsibilities, exercising oversight over penal law in, in the life of the church. So Kimes is one of these figures who is not sort of, um, wouldn't pop up. He, 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 I, I highly doubt that he has um, a Twitter account. Um, he's an ex-CDF official. I'm pretty sure he knows yeah, he shouldn't be on social media. Official, so he's... Right, so he's a guy with a with a sort of briefcase and a set of files, but um, not a large public profile. You wouldn't see him writing a column in either America or the National Catholic Reporter or Crisis Magazine or anything else, but um, sort of quietly going about the work of helping dioceses to actually implement these things. And um, and I think in doing that, um, um, probably is exercising sort of more influence on how priest personnel issues in the Church in the United States will be handled for the next decade than probably anybody. And I would say with him, also important is a is a swath of people who are helping dioceses to implement projects like restorative justice as a means of um, not sort of dispute reconciliation all by itself or dispute resolution all by itself, but just as a means of the church handling in a just manner and a manner that can promote actual reconciliation, um, allegations of abuse, misconduct, and other, kinds of, um, and, and other kinds of offenses against the dignity of the human person. And all of that work which is probably the most significant sort of fallout of 2018 is going on, but not making headlines and, um, and probably shaping the direction of the church considerably for the decades to come. That's a good pick. Um, my knowledge of Father Kimes dates back to my own time as a practicing canon lawyer, particularly doing penal cases when he was an official at the DDF there. And I occasionally had to, had to cross his path as they had to, because, you know, if you're, as I was a defense advocate and you're, you're, um, you're in, you're in tough circumstances, but, uh, he, yeah, he's, he's an expert. He's got all the experience and, in the world and, and he is and not just an expert, but increasingly an influential one among bishops. Right. Well, I was just saying, he's doing the thing that you always hope that people who have expertise in things like this will do, which is put their expertise at the service of bishops. And most importantly, um, a lot of bishops seem to be availing themselves of it. And I think that's great. Uh, I, I often claim that what I want most in life as a job is for them to create the position of a national promoter of justice for the Diocese of the United States. But I'll be honest with you, Father Kimes would be a better fit for that role than me. And uh, Oh, it'd be an awesome job. It would be awesome. So yeah, good pick. All right, great. Okay, now here's a category you're not going to like. Journalist, intellectual commentator or writer of the year in the ecclesial landscape look at my face <laughs> this is my are you <laughs> kidding me face <laughs> uh, my pick is title vacant for lack of challengers Okay, before we go, JD, um, would you like to do a bit of seasonal fun? A bit of seasonal fun? Let's seasonal fun. Seasonal fun, Ed, I presume means that we're going to put some apple cider, a couple of orange slices, some cranberries, and a bay leaf in a pot and then heat it up on the stove so our whole house smells like holiday freshness. Is that what we're doing? No. Okay. Well, listen, I um, – It's not a bad idea, though, if you want your house to smell like holiday freshness. Okay. I take your word for it. Um, so I, we talked about music a little bit on the show last week, uh, yep. and, and I thought well, we had some differences of opinion and I thought it would be nice if we could, you know, sort of do something to bring it all back together and just, you know, points of points of harmony, if you will. Unity and reconciliation. Yeah. I mean, this is, moment. this is, you know, Advent. And if it's about synodality, it's about Bishop Flores. Um, <laughs> So I was going to say I don't know about you, but has have has the Christmas music happened where you are? I don't know even what that means. Like, is it in every store on every radio station? Like, you can't. Well, put, I 
gas in your don't car without piped Christmas music in the background. Oh, I don't feel like I hear a lot of Christmas music. It might be on in the grocery store, but I don't really notice. Because as a man who prizes silence, I, I would have thought this is your least favorite time of the year because well, I don't there know. is just I, I piped music that everywhere. I, I just don't go a lot of places. I work and I go to church. I go sometimes work in a coffee shop. Um, I pick up the kids at school. I take the them coffee to the shop. Isn't playing wall to wall Christmas music over? No, there. because I work in this very weird coffee shop by my house. I think you know about it, but I work in this very weird coffee shop by my house called Enchanted Grounds, which is a kind of um, RPG game gamer coffee shop. People, <laughs> no, I don't know about. You don't know it. about that? No. So they sell board games there, but the, their main deal is that. They have all these tables, and lots of people go there to play various kinds of Dungeons and Dragons. And the tables are set up for that, and you could buy the right die, and you could buy figurines, and all this kind of stuff. And then during the day, old ladies go there to play mahjong. It's a game, it's a game coffee shop. But um, because of that, they don't have music on because there's always so many people playing games. I've part never, of the I I've like never it. heard of this. The, I, I'll take you there. It's called Enchanted Grounds. Part of the reason I like it, the coffee's not very good, but what I part of the reason I like about it is there's never music on there. I yeah I wow okay I'll take you there. I, that, I, this is important. I'm glad you told me this. This completely changes my mental picture of you sort of working throughout the day. When I'm working in a coffee shop and we're talking on the phone, I'm basically just walking around among the gamers. You're you're walking. You're surrounded by guys with neck beards and comic book t-shirts, furiously rolling fistfuls of dice. Whereas no, I have been mentally that, projecting also, you into there's an overlap between our listeners and those and RPG players. So not just that, but also people who are very discerning. And don't have neck beards. Okay, but <laughs> I have been I have been picturing you working on like a trestle table surrounded by yummy mummies in Lululemon yoga pants and stuff, and thinking, "What is a yeah?" Oh, I don't even want to know. Never mind. And just thinking, like, "Oh God, I don't know how he does it." Like, I would be beating my head against the table, just going, "Stop talking about the stupid vapid crap that you are doing." I don't care if you know you did hot yoga this morning. Shut up! I'm trying to write about the church, like you know. So I, now that I understand that you are in a completely different kind of coffee shop, I my entire mental picture of your day has changed. So I'm glad that you've told me this. I'm glad. Yep. Okay. But I, so what I was going to suggest was that we could rank um, Christmas songs, since the, at least for me, the the canned music is everywhere right now, and I have strong views. But I, it may be. I just don't. You block it out. Go anywhere where You're I would so know. So zen. It. You just. No, it's not that. I just don't go you to carry many, the silence with you inside. I don't everywhere go to you very go. many places. I had a meeting this week. One day. Okay, never mind. Let's play. It's not. I mean, if you do. If you don't hear any Christmas songs, you're not going to have strong views on them. I'm aware of Christmas songs. You're aware of Christmas songs. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. All right. Do you want to do? Top five best or top five We're worst? We're riding along in a song of a wintry scenery. Land outside, the snow is falling, and birds are calling you who. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. That is a Christmas song. Are you, are you, is it a pick for you? Is that, is that, wait. Yeah, that's a good song. That, so you want to do top five personal favorites. And so your, your number one pick out of the gate, it's a sleigh ride. Oh, I'm just singing to you, buddy. I wish you'd stop singing to me okay. you keep doing this throughout the show and it's very distracting all right i will stop okay so but no give me your let's do let's do draft pick what one would you one. like for me i would like your top five christmas songs good christian men rejoice is that a carol because we're talking songs no carols what's the difference um a carol is overtly religious you would be appropriate to sing in a church it will appear in hymnals I, I'm looking for pop culture songs, Christmas pop culture songs. Oh. Because those are the ones that people have strong views about. I mean, good carols are great carols, and even bad carols are still reasonably decent, but they don't pro tend to provoke a visceral experience of the season one way or another. It's, that's, the, that's the genre of Christmas pop song that I'm particularly interested in here. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. Ah, and the wham. All right, so the, that's wham. your, that's you your top five. Done? I've whamageddon to people who are trying to avoid it. You have. Um, so you're, it's that, that's in your top – that's your number one pick for favorite Christmas song is You want Christmas pop songs. It's just a very – that's not like a huge category. It's an enormous category, J.D. The, there are the literally hundreds of these. The Chipmunks, uh, Christmas, Christmas, time for tear. Yeah, you're just, li you're just naming them now and I'm – I am. I'm telling you ones that I'm aware of and I like. The Christmas one of the Chipmunks. 
the Wham See, when Christmas When I said song? we were going to do a top five draft one and one, you've just started randomly singing lyrics yeah, because I traded and naming the, I songs. Yeah, so I got the top two picks. You got top two picks. I got the first two picks. You can have now. You can have three picks. Then I'll make some picks. All right. So you've you've your top two picks are Wham's Last Christmas and the Chipmunks Christmas Christmas Time is here. In as much as I know, uh, yeah. These are songs that most people would rather slam their hand in a car door than listen to. And they're your two top picks for things you want to <laughs> I'm hear. I'm naming Christmas pop songs that I know. I'm trying to do what you're asking of me. I wanted ones that you liked. And then if we were if you if you were a good boy, we were gonna do ones you hated and, and do Christian top- Men Rejoice. That's a, I thought we agreed that was a carol or a hymn. Yeah, I, you you agreed that, but I it's I'm trying to think of Christmas pop songs. I really am. I'm trying to think of Christmas pop songs. I googled Christmas pop songs, and I'm not getting a list. Okay, so you well, go ahead and make your picks, and I'll keep working on this. All right, you wanted me to take three. Well, my number one pick is obviously Fairy Tale of New York for reasons previously discussed. Number oh, two, number two, Driving Home for Christmas, Chris Rea classic song i did okay you can't listen to that song and not just get a little misty-eyed uh number three i'll change it up and i'll go christmas in hollis rum dnc okay great everyone's a little rap at christmas great all right so you do you want to do your next three now to round sure. out your um, top five blue christmas elvis yep interesting okay and then the roots the roots version um not the paul mccartney version of wonderful christmas time i didn't know roots had a version of that and then just for you gwen stefani's santa baby oh (laughs) (laughs) you wrote it down it was one of your picks yes i did and yes it was maybe you know what i have i have poo-pooed this in the past but i have felt bad uh, I have felt very bad about that. The Weezers, we wish you a Merry Christmas. The Weezer Christmas album is a great album. Really? Yep. Uh, and I have felt bad for poo-pooing in the past, but Weezers, uh, Weezers, we wish you a Merry Christmas. It's very good. The Smashing Pumpkins have a beautiful Christmas time, but you Are know that Weezer the, the world? teenage dirtbag band? No, no, that's Weedus. Um, You know that Oi to the World of No Doubt? Yes. That that would be on my list. I'm I'm warming up now. I'm realizing how to play. Okay. Amy Winehouse's I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Oh, Amy. You see, you now you are I'm, getting into it. Yeah, I don't actually know that one. I've never heard an Amy Winehouse, but I'm I said it for you. Amy Winehouse had an incredible voice. Okay. Any others? Do I have to say more? No, you don't have to say more. Okay. But what's interesting is you because you've just sort of promiscuously named Christmas songs you could think of. <laughs> It's now not. It's not possible for us to do top five hated Christmas songs, which is an entirely separate genre, and I'd argue a much more competitive field. Well, I'd like to hear yours. I I, I think we'd all like to hear yours, and Fine. I'll try and think of some. I mean, Paul McCartney simply having a wonderful Christmas time is is number one. I mean, the man should have lost his knighthood yeah. for that song. He, yes, arguably, totally. he. He should have been forced to do public penance. Totally. Um, number two, and he's only number two because he was always inferior to Paul in every way, was John Lennon's So This Is Christmas. Yeah, it's really bad. You don't, you've never heard either of these songs, have you? Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, number three, Slade's Merry Christmas, everybody. Just okay. incredibly irritating. Um, Feed the World, Band-Aid. I don't know it. That is, you must have heard that song. It was a cultural phenomenon in the 80s, JD. I mean, it was a good cause, but I ask you, is there any amount of money it could raise that justifies inflicting Bob Geldof on us as a voice of moral authority for 30 years? That's fair. Not to mention everyone in that video looks like they haven't showered in a month and they keep saying there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas, but there is snow in Africa. Every winter. Yeah, on Kilimanjaro. Yeah, it's right there. in the summer on Kilimanjaro. Yeah, even Toto know that. I mean, God. So that, I mean, I got one more, but, and you can, I, this is a pet peeve, but you probably love this song, knowing you. Dominic the Donkey. Um. Yeah, Dominic the Donkey is awesome. Yeah, I figured you, I mean, you're from New Jersey and that is basically the, yeah. the, the, 
the Christmas Carol of New Jersey. I have not loved the degree to which Dominic the Donkey has become more broadly popular because it's a regionalism that I, you know, is from my region. But Dominic, you feel the like that's on. our that's our thing. That's our thing. Would you it's, describe it as our this thing of ours? It's yes, I, yes, I, I, I would. I, I would say it. <laughs> you shouldn't discuss it, this Dom- thing of ours with people outside of the family. You might say, Dominic the Donkey is for us by us, as it were. And uh, and I think it, that should be respected. I agree. Okay, are are there any okay, Christmas songs? So would songs? you like to hear my? Yeah, I would. But I, I mean, at this point, because you insist on not playing the game by any recognizable standard of the rules, I, I am interested in any Christmas songs that you have actual feelings about. So, have you ever heard Jessica Simpson's "Little Drummer Boy"? Yeah, <laughs> really, you like that? No, I'm telling you the ones I don't like. It's oh, terrible. okay. No, Little Drummer Boy is a terrible, terrible song. And it doesn't matter if it's Jessica Simpson or Bing Crosby and David but Bowie. Jessica Simpson's is particularly bad. Okay. Yeah, Jess- Jessica Simpson's is particularly bad. I. So there's one. I'll endorse that. Next. Have you ever heard Leanne Rimes' Carol of the Bells? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can only imagine it's as bad as it. I immediately think it must be. Yes. <laughs> Coyote Ugly Carol heard, of the Bells. God help us. Have you ever heard Justin Bieber sing Mistletoe? I have never heard Justin Bieber sing anything to the best of my knowledge. He okay, is like Taylor Swift Christmas to me. Song. It's just a black box of, I understand this is a giant cultural phenomenon, but I I have no root into it. But I can believe you that his his Christmas work is terrible. Okay. And then this will probably not be popular. And there are many things they do well. But the Pentatonics sing a song called That's Christmas to Me, which is awful. Fair enough. I respect that opinion. Oh, man. Uh, Today's episode of the Pillar Podcast was sponsored by the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers. UD invites you to embark on the quest, a documentary-style video series about discovering one's purpose and living with courage. Viewers are raving, calling the series a profound Catholic witness, thought-provoking, challenging, well-written, and faith-filled, an endeavor that can help save the world. Season 2, The Way of Beauty, is now available. Start watching The Quest from the University of Dallas now for free at quest.udallas.edu slash pillar. That's quest.udallas.edu slash pillar. The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and JD Production, our executive producer is Kate Oliveira, my pick for Media Church Person of the Year, and we'll be back next week. Hey, jingity jing, it's Dominic the donkey, jingity jing, the Italian Christmas donkey, la la la, la 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 la.